Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Today, I'm thrilled to bring you Zach Pausman, a research and design expert known for watching people, decoding their behaviors, and helping companies decide what to make and why. You'll hear Zach talk about tools, techniques, and tactical advice in user design from the physical and metaverse world we live in. He warns about dangerous assumptions, meaning you must never assume you know the customer. But then how do you really get into their minds to create what they really want? Well, you're going to hear a lot about this and so much more. Please share this episode with others, leave me a review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast channel. It means a lot. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, Zach Pausman, to the Doing CX Right Show. Stacy, I'm so glad to be here. I'm really excited for today. So before we get into the heart of the show, which is a lot about user experience and how much it impacts customer experience and more, can you please share who are you? What do you do professionally? Sure. Happy to. I'm Zach Pausman. My company is called Helpfully. And we are in the business of assisting companies big and small to build new stuff. So we are in the new stuff business. What that looks like for every different kind of industry and different companies uh, varies pretty broadly, but we are engaged. I'll just give you a couple quickies just so you know, kind of like when you say you're a consultant in the CX and UX space, what does that mean? We've done some research for some large hospital chains on how patients need better content. So they're thinking very deeply about kind of the content stream. What do what do hospitals know more than most other people? Um, and where would they be able to intersect? And so that's been really fun, uh, really interesting research project to under, you know, um, create a foundation for all kinds of new content initiatives um, at the uh, hospital chain. Uh, we're also working, yeah, with um, companies in ed tech, in big data, thinking a lot about new modalities and smart spaces and uh, AR and VR in the metaverse. Um, so we get our chance to really dig in in a lot of different places. But our job is really to help them go from idea or hunch about the world to an experience, a business, a new service um, that they can launch. So now you talk about experience and the metaverse. I want to pause for one minute because <laughs> how do you explain that? What does that even mean in this new context? Yeah, I think that's a great introductory point about the real world and the virtual world and how those two things are really blending and coming together in new ways. And that's, I think, just the simplest and most easy to explain definition of what the metaverse is really going to be like and look like. It is a layer on top of the real world in which people can do all kinds of different things, take in all kinds of different experiences. But Stacy, one of the things I think a lot about and that we've been lucky to work on it, hopefully, are keeping track of this digital and in-person real life uh, experiences and the balance point between those two things. 
I think we've all spent so much time, especially in the pandemic, getting more digital. So many companies are thinking about digital transformation. They're thinking about digitally delivering better experiences to, to, to their customers. So thinking about CX and digital versions of CX uh, and thinking about digital for all their employees as well. And the real world is also, I would just want to caution everyone, like the real world's not going away. And when you look at the data, on how much of the U.S. economy, for example, is the digital part? What is the digital slice of the U.S. economy? We think it's a big chunk, and it's not. It's like 8 or 9% in 2018, 2019. Mm. So even though it takes up so much of our lives and your life and my life, the real world isn't going away. People are still going to live in homes and fly on airplanes and go to stores and eat and buy and... Um, uh, cook food. Um, we're going to get our healthcare in both, you know, digitally enabled ways, but you're still going to have to go to places where care happens and get poked and prodded and they'll take your bodily fluids and spin them around in various machines. All those things are still going to happen in the physical world. And I just, I think the metaverse is so cool, such a great, interesting trend for all of us to engage with. Um, but one of the things that we often just temper this rush into sort of like purely digital ways of thinking, I always try to think about the real experiences that people have in the physical world and how important they are and how they're just not going away. Well, let's go into some more basics because this meta conversation is so big and fuzzy. (laughs) So let's talk about we're going to come back to that, but let's go a little bit more basic. When we talk about user experience, what is that? For many people might not know, what does UX really mean? I would describe user experience, and I know that this is, definitions are fun and they're fun to talk about at parties, but what I think about user experience is in some ways a little bit constrained. Often user experience as we'd use it in the professional world is about the rectangle, the either tall rectangle or broad rectangle or the screen-based things that a consumer, a client, a customer experiences and designing and creating inside of that rectangle. Mm. And what's good about that definition is it also, of course, implies that there's like a whole bunch of things happening outside the rectangle. And that to me is how I might distinguish between kind of UX practitioners and CX practitioners. A CX practitioner and a CX leader needs to think beyond the rectangle and needs to think about all of the things that are happening that enable all of the screen-based things to happen, but also what happens when I need to leave the screen and have a customer service call, actually get help from a person, experience you know, transact in a physical environment like a store or go to the hospital or go to the school, um, any of those things. So when you think about, at least when I think about um, kind of the definition of of UX is a little bit more constrained and more digital, more screen-based, more focused on the customer uh, and the user, um, and maybe less focused on all the enablement functions, all of the things that happen to enable that service um, to occur in, uh, in the world. Hmm. So someone who's listening who doesn't apply UX to their business today. 
Oh. What might they think about to start and why? Sure. Stacy, I'm sure that they I in today's world like you're always delivering an experience. No matter who you are, no matter what kind of company you you run, no matter what role you play in the company, you're delivering an experience. You might not be delivering an optimal experience, you might not be delivering a crafted, carefully designed experience, but people are having experiences. Whether you as a teammate or as a colleague or as a department or as a whole company, whether you think a lot about it or not, think about a great experience, right? That Apple does such a good job of the unboxing of their products. So the headphones come out, the phone comes out, the computer comes out of its box. It's a magical moment and people note it all the time as a great piece of user experience, customer experience. Other products get unboxed. They're just badly designed. I mean, it's just it's just the same thing happens. You have to cut the tape, you open the thing, you take out the package and all of the inserts and you pull out the, um, you know, the manuals that are inside of it. All those things happen. They're just not designed. They're just defaults, right? They were just like default cardboard box, whatever. And that's not always wrong. And I think it's important for us all to remember that not everything needs to be designed to the tens. But I would say, Stacey, at least in my experience and, and the way that at least I approach the work that, 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 that I like to do, everyone's having an experience. It's just a question of whether it's a bad one or a good one. Well, but UX is much more intentional to apply best practices and getting feedback. I mean, that's not, yes, you're right. We're all having experiences, but there's a methodical way to do it. And I want to get your perspective. What, sure. what is that? Yeah, I think the, the advice that I would give about, you know, just opening up the user experience box is to just start noticing. Start noticing, right, those things that happen in daily life, in the experiences you have with companies, either you do or don't like, and what they feel like, what, what result they have for, for you as a consumer. Because when you sharpen your eyes and ears and you sharpen your sense, right, of what um, good and bad experiences look like, what they feel like, how they unfold, that will immediately start to change your conversations that you have with your colleagues at work. You'll start to say, oh, well, it doesn't have to be like this. We could go and fix it. And I just think that at that perspective, right, just taking that, in, as you said, intentional way, everyone can take on that role of like, huh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Or, oh, I never noticed that it matters how people pick up the phone. Like when they pick up the phone at the W hotel chain, they say, whatever, whenever. They have a very peculiar way, a very intentional way. And we've all been in different hotels and different experiences, and they're all very different from one another. Those are moments which are in, in the sum total, right? Those are, to me, a CX-minded person is thinking about the sum total of experiences that customers have with your brand. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, cuts across all of the channels. That it cuts across both prospect or shopper or, you know, the awareness and consideration and all the all the parts of a, of, of a, of a marketing funnel, or sales funnel. But it then, of course, doesn't stop at the end of, of that sales funnel. It is, it is part and parcel, right, of what happens when you are that now customer, buyer, shopper, user of the things. Um, and, and 
it goes even further than that, right? Because it's not just about all the good things that happen. It's about a lot of these exception flows as well. How does a company handle um, misses? Mm -hmm. How do they recover from uh, challenges, right, that happen in, in the flow of a given customer, a given situation? You write about and talk about dangerous assumptions. Mm, Tell me more. I do. I think that we, as UX uh, and CX practitioners, we often come in, like all business people do, with assumptions about the world. We have beliefs, and we believe that people will do a certain thing, think a certain way. They have certain attitudes, perspectives, and we need to use those assumptions. They're not bad, but I think we all need to think more about them. And let me just give you one, which I already hinted at a little bit, which is the assumption that digital will fix everything. That's a dangerous assumption because it forces people into conversations about digital only, or the digital is going to replace healthcare experience. It's going to replace the educational experience that people have. It's going to replace a business transaction. It's going to replace stores, retail stores. I don't think that's right. I don't think that making an assumption about how digital is always better for every customer in every situation, I think that's a dangerous one. And so as you heard, I, I've already looked it up and like I've been thinking a lot about the way in which the big parts of the US economy are definitely not going away. And so we all need as, as business leaders, as owners, as creative people to embrace that the physical world is here to stay. And it's great. It's great to be in the physical world. The wind is in your hair. The sun is on your face. You're at the beach. I mean, those moments are incredible, right? We all have incredible, great experiences. When you're eating a chocolate chip cookie, that's not going to be nearly as fun in the metaverse. I promise. <laughs> well, going back to assumptions and not avoiding them. Sure. How? <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, let me just give you one other assumption that I just think we we often make. And I think as people who are trying to build a new thing, design a new experience, create a new company, uh, are often tasked with decoding people. We're, our, our job, right, as CX professionals is to understand what's working and what's not, where people are satisfied and where they're not. Uh, and we use lots of different tools and methods uh, to do that. I think we often assume, though at least some of us assume, that people are rational. That they're going to make rational choices. And they're going to do things that are in their best interest, that they know what their best interest is, and that they're going to do things that are like patternful over time so that they're going to stay still. And to me, that's a dangerous assumption where over the last 10 or 15 years, we've really started to understand so much better that people are rational sometimes, and analytical in some ways, fact-based in, in some ways, but also they act from all kinds of other motivations and other dimensions. And so I think another way that you could approach the, the work that we're all doing in, in CX and, and in UX and in, um, in insights is to pick some better lenses than an idea that like people are just going to always be explicable people are kind of inexplicable. And that's what makes the work that we do and the, and the work that you get to do um, so interesting is because people do not always do what we assume that they will. And our, our, our hunches, right, about people are, are sometimes 
uh, wrong. And I think I'll just give you a couple of the things, lenses, right, that, that, that we use and, and that I, I think are really important. I think a lot about anthropology and sociology. I think a lot about like ethnographically inspired. And I just want to take like one second and say like, what does that mean? Um, we talk sometimes in research, especially about like doing ethnographies. And ethnography is just a qualitative method. It's a kind of, of, of way to understand people. It means that we want to get to their authentic lived experience. And the way to do that, of course, is to spend time with them. So ethnography is just the study of people with a very close eye on the actual daily life that they live, the lived experience that that, that that person has. And when you imagine being a CX person, we don't often get to do that. We don't get to walk around the world with our client, our customer, our user, our, or, or other teammates, employees, things like that. We don't get to get out in the world and see we're often restricted or limited in the view we have. I only get a tiny piece of uh, the email inbox of this person on one day a year. And we have to make a lot of assumptions, right, about what else is happening um, because we just get such a thin little slice. Um, and ethnography is the opposite of that. It's this very thick way to understand. But I think it's really valuable to take a perspective where people are very social. They're always thinking about not just themselves as individuals. They're thinking about themselves in a subculture in their department at work. They're thinking about themselves in their community. They're thinking of themselves as a certain kind of family member. Those relational ways that people show up are really important. And I just think everyone needs to take people um, in their full richness. I just, I would hope that everybody doesn't fall into that dangerous assumption, right? This worrisome assumption that people are only their work selves from nine to five PM. And I think the pandemic, right, has opened up all yeah. these ways in which we've seen more, right, of each other's spaces. We've seen each other's families. We've learned about each other's pets. And those are really good examples of like a big difference, right, as, we, as we've thought about our colleagues. I want to bring it to tactical design. Mm -hmm. So sure. because people are creating new products, they're creating new websites and new apps. So talk to me about how they could approach whatever mm -hmm. they're developing with UX best practices. What are some of those? Sure. I'll give you one that is, I think, high altitude. Uh, but important, and you'll already know what I'm going to say, which is get out of the building if you possibly can. In your CX role, I would urge everyone to spend real time in the actual environments where 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 customers live, where clients want to do things. We did some work a little bit ago in the financial services world, and we were asking people about their retirements. And retirement is something that's very analytical, very fact-based. It's like you get all this mail from your retirement company and they send you all the mail. And of course, like everyone does, we went to people's homes and they had the, the big shoebox, the big like file folder full of all the things that like, I don't know if I should throw this away. <laughs> we all have that moment, right? Where you get a piece of mail from your financial company and it looks very official and important and it's about your retirement. And then you're like, do I throw this away? Do I keep it? What do I do with this thing? So we were in people's homes. And what's interesting about it is most financial conversations do not happen in around those artifacts. They don't happen around the paper. 
They happen late at night in people's bedrooms while people are getting ready for bed. And of course, I've had this moment too. As soon as my head hits the pillow late at night is when I think like, oh my God, I'll never retire, right? <laughs> and that's when the conversations are sparked. But we, I think, learned about those rhythms and routines as we were in people's homes, not just learning from um, a focus group or a neutral environment or learning from quantitative data. But let me give you one like really specific tactical thing I think that's valuable just in the hopefully methodology. I think it's really valuable when you think about quantitative tools, survey instruments, intercepts, other things that are that, that are highly quantitative. I think it's critical that the framing for that is qualitative, then quantitative, and then qualitative again. Because that first set of qualitative things when you're building something new is about understanding even what's happening in those daily lives, how people describe those things, how they model them in their own heads, what's their, what's their mental model for the solving of a problem that you're going to fix for them. And then that gives you so much better opportunities to write really careful survey questions, to think about a quantitative way to understand or segment the people uh, that you care about. And then once you understand and have learned some things about those segments and have, have done some bigger quantitative kind of data analysis, then you can go back into the qual and say, now let's zoom in. Now let's actually understand this distinction that people are making that we did not understand before from the yeah. qual. So yeah. I just think that like a qual, quant, qual approach can be faster and in some ways gets to the real heart of the matters in a better way than doing something which I think you know, I've, I've certainly seen and hopefully certainly done it where we would start with a big quantitative study and then try to take insights from that and, and, and the learnings we have and then go into a qualitative, you know, uh, moment about what's being invented or what we're going to do next or how we're going to solve this these pain points. I think listening first, then doing quant and then jumping into qual is a really good way to go. I would add that getting deep into mental models, as you mentioned, so when we're developing a, let's say, a new dashboard for customers to use, and I'm not talking about a specific job I've been at, just in general, different uh, organizations. What I like to do, and anybody could copy this, is ask users what's in front of them. Before you click, what do you expect to see? And then they, and think your thoughts out loud, and then they say, and then you say, okay, now click. And they describe. Yeah. And it didn't match. And there's the light bulb for the UX team and CX team to take back to the stakeholders to say, there's a disconnect. I think that's a great example and a really great approach. People have a mental model in their heads when they engage, when they're looking at the dashboard, when they're going to buy something at a store, they're thinking a certain set of thoughts. And those mental models are critically important because if you can carve up the world the same way that it fits inside of someone's head, it's going to immediately feel easier. You're going to, you're going to get better scores, right? In terms of satisfaction, you're going to see all of those metrics move in the right direction because it's, natural and it feels right right for, for that user or for that customer. I think the think aloud protocol is so good. It's 
always instructive, right? To show people something and say like, what are you keying into? And they're like, well, I'm noticing this. And like, yeah. We had no idea people were even going to look at that part of the experience. Or wow, I didn't think about how our color scheme that we've selected does or doesn't, right? Reflect these subtleties of, of somebody's mental model, right? Well, we, we put everything in the brand colors and then like, well, all these buttons are red. And it's like, mm, this seems wrong. Even though that is your brand color, you got to be mm. careful with these buttons. Do you believe A-B testing, when you give users different experiences, when they come to a website, for example, how does that come into play with UX? Yeah, I think it's a really good uh, set of tools. The kind of methodology for that is, um, as, as you've just described, Stacey, taking people and segmenting them. So giving them either flavor A or flavor B of a particular moment in the experience. And the best companies in the world do a lot of this. You might notice that like sometimes when you're at Amazon, you get a slightly different checkout page. They move things. The button got pushed over here. That's just you being in one of these A-B tests. And just in case any listeners are, are, are wondering, there's a broader version of that, which is like multivariate testing, which is just like yeah. A, B, C, D testing or A, on B, steroids. C, D. Yeah, testing, testing on steroids. <laughs> you could do that a lot of ways. And so they just call that multivariate. But in this idea that there are many flavors, I think that's a really incredibly valuable technique. I think it requires two, two things to be, to, to be available. One, I think it's a tool for optimizing. So it's really good once you're already have an established website, dashboard experience, the services up and running. A-B testing isn't as good, at least not, not in this formulation I'm thinking of, when you're just getting started, when you're trying to define it. it I, don't, I don't think that's the right tool. But I think it's an incredible tool once you're pretty far along and now trying to optimize all these paths, trying to make sure that people get through the checkout, right? It's a great chance um, to do A-B yeah. testing. I would yeah. say also it implies that you have already a good stream of users. So A-B testing is so valuable, but if you only have nine users a day on your experience, you're in pilot, you're just in the MVP stage, that minimum viable product stage, you might not have enough people to split them off and, and actually kind of come to these better, more quantitative, um, you know, statistically significant conclusion. So I think in that sense, it's a great tool set. Just, I think, used in the right way, I think it can be so powerful to really hone in on that optimum right? Find the optimal version of our checkout page. Find the optimal version of how to lay out the cards in a dashboard. I think it's a great yeah. tool for that. Yes. So as we're coming near the end, if I had many CEOs and leaders, entrepreneurs in my room right now, what's the one thing you want them to know? And I'd say do, because this is doing experiences right. What would that be? What's the one takeaway? For me, the doing CX right question is always about continuous learning. So finding ways to learn every day. And as I already hinted, I would tell CEOs, and I have told many C-suites, uh, this, 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 this important truth is the answers are probably not in this room. So when you're sitting in a beautiful conference room and there's a very nice expensive table and maybe there's a big screen behind you and an incredible view out the window, the answers to your questions are, are, are almost certainly not in that room. <laughs> They're out in the real world. And I just, I think for me, the fundamental move that, that I want 
companies to take is to truly understand in an iterative way better and better their customers and their employees so that we can deliver them what they really need. I think you won't find those needs in small team analysis. Oftentimes, I would just say for the record, those rooms are full of very, very well-educated people, wealthier people. They're full of, you know, there are lots of biases and stereotypes, but I think those people are in general different, right, from from, from the broad population uh, in a lot of factors, in, in race, in gender, in uh, wealth. And so those things matter. And it's so critical that you get beyond uh, your own experience and get out into the real world. So I heartily recommend, yeah, every every CEO going on Undercover Boss, going out into the real world and being an employee, uh, interacting with customers. Um, I love that DoorDash, um, I'm sure you've seen recently that DoorDash was going to ask everybody who works at the company, even their engineers and technology people, uh, everyone was going to go and actually like drive around in a vehicle, their vehicle and deliver. That's incredible. And I agree that it's not complete. It's not a full thought. It's uh, has gotten some pushback in, in the CX world. And I think smartly so, but it is better than not for me. Yes. My last question is just a fun one. If you could go back in time to your younger self, 20-year-old self, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger Zach? That's a great question. I would probably tell me to start sooner. So I started hopefully six years ago, a little six and a half, a little more than six years ago. And I'm having so much fun and I wish I had started this sooner. I I think um, publish before you're ready, start before you're ready, launch your app and service before it feels p- totally finished. You're always can, can, can get yourself, at least me, I'll just confess. Uh, it's easy for, for, for a person and, and easy for me to, to fall into that. Um, it's not quite done yet. And... I, I just I would just encourage me younger me and all of uh, all of us to 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 just jump and trust that you'll learn as you go. Mm. Beautifully said. Well, I know people are going to want to connect with you, especially as they want to go deeper into UX and how to apply mm. it at their business. I'll add it to the show notes. But what is the best way to connect with you? Of course, yeah. Helpfully, we are at www.helpfully.com. Uh, we're on social media channels at Helpfully Team. We have a team-based kind of model. So one of the things that that we do at Helpfully is we assemble all of our research teams, strategy teams, design teams um, around a, a client's problem. So we've tried to really embrace this idea of forming teams specifically for your need, your problem, your industry, the kinds of methods you need to solve. So don't try to convince an anthropologist to run your A-B tests. Go get an A-B testing expert. Go get her. She's going to kill it. Uh, and the same is true, right? You wouldn't want to take a quantitative survey-based or, or, or A-B testing analytics person in, in the product and then try to bring them into the you know super qualitative early methods kind of work. Um, so in all of those cases, uh, we try to really think about the healthy team and build a network and, and build a team around every client's problem. So yeah, we're at Helpfully Team on Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. Come find Excellent. us. We'd love to, love to chat. 
Well, thank you so much for being here today. And I know people are going to really learn a lot about the importance of UX and a new way to think about it. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.